cosmic dragon. Sup, y'all? This is Sean Grigsby. I'm your host. This is Cosmic Dragon, a podcast all about science fiction and fantasy books. And uh, today we are talking to Rowena Miller, who is the author of Torn and the upcoming Fray comes out June 4th, which is not that far away as of this recording. And uh, both of those are from Orbit Books, one of my favorite publishers, aside from Angry Robot Books, uh, who I am published with. And uh, before we get to our conversation with Rowena, I am going into full-on promo mode for Ash Kickers. And uh, a lot of people like that title. Honestly, when I first came up with it, I was just thinking of a different term for a firefighter that also related to what happens in the book. And I really didn't realize that it kind of sounds like ass kicker. I know that's weird. I should have known that from the beginning. I've been playing uh, smart, not playing dumb. I've I've been uh, acting like, yeah, yeah, I totally meant that. Anyway, so Ash Kickers is the sequel to Smoke Eaters, which you may or may not have read. And uh, the whole concept basically is firefighters versus dragons in the future. But in Ash Kickers, a new problem shows up in the form of a phoenix. And there's still dragons and all kinds of gnarly human beings, too, to deal with. So there's also ghosts and robots. It's a, a total mashup of fantasy and science fiction, as best as I could do anyway. Hope you like it. You can totally pre-order it. And uh, if you have photos... Of yourself holding any of my books, be they Smoke Eaters, Daughters of Forgotten Light, or when it comes out, Ash Kickers, I would love to see it. So you can just tag me on Twitter. I'm at Sean Grigsby, uh, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. It's Sean underscore Grigsby. Check me out. Send me some stuff. Get in touch. But enough about me. Let's jump into our interview with Rowena Miller. What am I going to Yeah, because yours is coming up, what, in July? Yeah, the next month uh, after after yours, July 9th. Yeah. So it's like, uh, and I don't know if you feel this way, because this is your second published book. Yes. Yeah. I, it's kind of like, you know, with your debut, you got all this amped up energy. You're like, yes, it finally happened. And look at me, world. You know, it's like you're, it's like a debutante ball and you're, yeah. <laughs> you know, coming out. And uh, doing all that stuff, but then like the second, third book, you're kind of like, I don't, I don't know what to do now. <laughs> it yeah, looks I'm like, for me. like do, do, should I do stuff? Should I be excited? Is this is this old hat now? <laughs> right. Like, okay, well, what worked and what didn't? Because I did a lot of things for my debut, and I, I could just repeat what I did, I guess. But I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do anything that feels like it's you know a wasted effort. Obviously, but hey. You're on Cosmic Dragon, so that's something new and refreshing. Yes, I and haven't I hope... done this before, so right. <laughs> like any podcast, I've done a couple. I did, um, yeah, a couple of interviews um, last summer, and yeah, but this is my first time here, so this is the first time I've been openly invited to curse, so that's exciting. Yes, say all the cuss <laughs> words you want. I mean, I. You don't have to like just stream them out. If it, yeah. It's totally up to you. It could be part of the conversation. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what right. comes up. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask you a question that'll get you really excited or angry, and, and then it could just roll It'll out. It'll just happen. Yeah. Well, obviously, neither of us are at the Nebulas, um, which is going on as of this recording. Yes. Um, but it's it's hard to get out to cons. I see people going out to conventions all the time, and I think... 
you must be selling a shit ton of books or have like a trust fund or something because that that's expensive. It is. And, and time is hard too. I mean, you know, you're balancing job, family, kids, work, you know, all the stuff and finding just even the time to like carve out a few days of travel. And it's that that's what's really killing me right now because I have two small ones at home. Um, and obviously vacation time is at a premium. So right. It's a weird balance to try to like, like, yes, this is a professional thing. And it's also something I'd really like to do is to get to more cons. But man, <laughs> getting, right. getting out of town is hard. Oh, the day where we can be invited and have all expenses paid. Shoot. It's like living Done. the dream. Done. I'll call it. I still have I no care. time. But <laughs> right. The time would still be a problem. But the money would definitely yeah. it would yes. help. <laughs> to let listeners know, we are speaking with Rowena Miller, who is an Orbit author. She has uh, torn out right now, and the sequel to that is Frey, and that comes out June 4th. So what can you tell us about these books and uh, the progression of the story from Torn to Frey? Sure. So Torn starts with um, the protagonist who is a seamstress in kind of a 18th century Europe analog um, is the best way to describe the setting. Um, but she has a special ability, which is that she's also a charm caster. So she can basically put good luck into the stuff that she's sewing. And she's carved out a niche for herself, um, having a business selling um, these good luck charmed clothing items. Um, but for most people of her social class, Class, the world she lives in is very unfair. It's very shifted toward um, the nobility control everything. So her brother is a revolutionary, and he's getting the populace all amped up um, to think about um, revolt, coup, um, overthrow the government kind of kind of stuff. Um, and she's kind of caught in the middle of that because her livelihood depends on having these rich people who buy her stuff and um, also really sympathizing with the fact that most people can't get to the kind of lifestyle that she has because of that unfair social um, economic system that's in place. Um, along the way, she ends up meeting and falling in love with a member of the nobility, which complicates things further. Um, and it turns out that one of the leaders of the um revolutionary group is a bit more self-serving and darker than um, he would appear. And he kind of takes things over, takes her brother um, captive and forces her to engage in dark arts to help the revolutionary cause. So that's torn. Um, and then Frey follows up with what ends up um, coming out of all of that. And, um, kind of, as I've told people from the get-go with it, you know, it doesn't matter if a revolution succeeds or fails, it's not over after that because there's there's cleanup to do. You know, either you've got a failed revolution, what do you do with that? Or a revolution works and what do you do with that? So um, that's kind of what I, I launch into Frey with. I kind of have that same feeling about my books because, you know, I'm all anarchist, anti-capitalism and stuff, but I also got to live and I like, that I'm getting paid to write too. So <laughs> it's kind of like a, huh, this kind of, you know, counteracts my, uh, my belief system here. Uh, so that's cool. <laughs> and one thing, and I forget if I told you or not, um, cause I was looking at the book at Barnes and Noble one day, a few months ago. And I love, uh, that they do the, I say quilt pattern, but you know what I mean? Like the stitching kind of, mm -hmm. uh, 
thing in the book. That's awesome. Wh whose idea was that? Um, the the covers. Yeah, yeah, and, and inside what? the book. Yeah, um, that was totally not me at all. That was the brilliant designers at Orbit came up with the gorgeous covers, came up with the outlay, the layout inside, and all that extra kind of little fun nods to sewing. I think we've got some crafters on staff over there who <laughs> had some great brainstorming. Now, do you yourself sew? Is this I, um, a personal thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I um, actually, the the initial idea that I had for the story was I was, I'm a huge nerd. I should just back up and fess that up right away. I, I do living history stuff and historical sewing and historical seamstressing techniques. And um, I was doing some research on 18th century um women's clothing, women's jackets. And I was finding all of these fantastic um, French fashion plates, basically, and looking at the dates on them, a lot of them are right in this cluster around the French Revolution, like just before the French Revolution starts. And I'm thinking, these people are creating these gorgeous, beautiful, innovative um, clothing styles, and the entire world's about to collapse around them. And just to think about what that must have been like, to balance, you know, hey, my goal for the day is to sew this seam and oh, right, the world's blowing up, um, which <laughs> maybe maybe some of us feel like that on a daily basis. I don't know. But um, <laughs> that was the story kind of initially came from um, was my own personal sewing research and projects and that goofy stuff I do. And you also are a Revolutionary War reenactor. Yes. Yeah. Tie tying in the living history stuff. So that's kind of what got me into historical sewing, though a lot of people actually make historical clothing um, without the reenacting thing to go along with it. They just love the clothes. So it's kind of a fun, weird little community. Maybe someday that style will come back. You know, I mean, fingers crossed. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't wear a powdered wig or anything. But, you know, I'd flaunt some cool, like, revolutionary coat or something. Yeah, I mean, like, the men's styles are just amazing. Like, the, the frock coats with the embroidery all over them and matching everything. It's... I know, and it's not like that Striking. nowadays. No. It's like, and I kind of get jealous a little bit. I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't wear a dress or anything. That's just my, my personal decision. But, <laughs> but right. like, it's like you look at all the cool, like, what women have, uh, and then you look at what, you know, I'm left with, and it's like jeans and a button-down shirt, maybe. And right. then you wear weird stuff, like I wear weird stuff, and then people look at you all weird. Not that I care. I do it for attention, but my <laughs> wife can't stand it. She's introverted. She can't stand it. She, I've had to tone myself down when we go places together. But, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, the, the styles have kind of changed to where, you know, I don't know. It is, and, and I feel like it, it's really weirdly gendered how it's you know women are allowed to play with fashion and color and texture and all this stuff and then it's like just put on your suit please wear your right. suit that's I don't what you're like supposed it. to do and it didn't used to be that way like you go up through the 18th century and the men's clothing is just it's bananas half the time it's more over the top than the women's um even in the lower classes you have men accessorizing with you know silk scarves and different colors and and that kind of goes away in the 19th century the 19th century kind of screws that. And I could go like on and on about my geeky interests and in, like domestic sphere versus public sphere and how I think that's a terrible influence on men's fashion. But, but yes, you guys really got the wrong end of the stick on that one. <laughs> right. History has not been kind. 
(laughs) to our our choices of of our fashion, you know, and I, heck, I like wearing a eyeliner, you know, and that's just, but makeup used to go like men can't wear makeup nowadays unless you want to get scrutinized, especially where I live. And well, and and it's all very like, you know, if you're doing it, it must be some kind of statement about something. And it's like, no, I just kind of like right. it. Or they I, try to like, <laughs> or maybe they think that it's some comment on your sexuality or, or your gender uh, or, or, you know, and it's not, it's just, I like to wear eyeliner. <laughs> I think right. it's cool. You know, right. Expression can just be expression. Right. right. Self, not necessarily any particular niche of identity. <laughs> well, if I ever see you at a con or if I know we're going to be at the same one, I'll do some like revolutionary get up. And I'll be like, there you go. Change the standards. <laughs> well, anyway, we went off on a tangent there, but it's it's still related. Uh, but w- let's talk about your journey into publishing because you are a traditional author, just like myself. And I mean, Orbit is a big deal. Um, they're, they're Hachette, one of the big five. So where did you start? Like, So Torn, obviously, is your debut novel, but is it the first one that you had written or how many have you written before? It's definitely not the first one I've written. It is sitting on a, a brilliant trunk full of failed manuscripts. <laughs> Built mm-hmm. it to be where it is, I guess. Um, no, I started writing kind of, I mean, I've, I've always written. Like as a kid, I always loved writing and that always stuck with me. But like for serious, started probably about 10 years ago. Um, and I actually, I think the recession because my hours got cut at work. And I'm like, what do I do with this extra day? And I'm like, well, you know what I've always really wanted to do? I'm going to do that. So I um, wrote my first complete manuscript like 10 years ago, queried it. Totally, it, it did not It did not go well. Um, but that was a good thing because I actually wrote a historical fiction novel first. And I realized that's not where I would have wanted to end up. Um, mostly because I'm way too anal. So like I would spend... <laughs> days researching one detail and if it wasn't perfect I would just I would go nuts so um god bless the historical fiction writers that can deal with that pressure um but I wrote another piece after that and um I think I I think I queried three manuscripts um before getting an agent um and actually that um manuscript that I queried the aid my my current agent with um she actually didn't think she could sell that one, but was like, well, what else are you writing? Cause <laughs> like you're writing a lot. Um, and so I actually ended up signing with her on the book that I hadn't finished yet, which we took out on sub and then that didn't sell. But while I was on sub, I wrote torn. Um, and so that was about a 10 year journey of, um, writing, querying sub, and then finally, um, publication. So. Wow. A whole decade. <laughs> it's like definitely not an overnight um, anything. Who's your agent, by the way? Uh, Jessica Zinsheimer. Oh, yeah. Who is so sweet and excellent and wonderful. I met her in Dallas at uh, DFW Con way back when, like 2014 or 15, I want to say. Very cool. Very cool person. Yes. And she is wonderful, supportive, so smart. So I've yeah. loved working with her. And so you landed with Orbit. So how's it been working with them? They are wonderful. I I love my editor. Um, I seriously think that she might be a genius. Um, like for serious, she just is so insightful. And it's really interesting to me. I also, um, 
I have a, a master's in English and like how often in my classes we'd be analyzing some text and someone would come up with the, like, well, you know, the authorial intent is unknown here because the editor insisted on inserting this or that. And I'm sitting there like, that's not how it works. Editors are amazing. Editors are wonderful um, additions to that team and that process of getting a, a good book out there. Um, so like that, that weird idea of an editorial relationship being adversarial like no it's very collaborative it's very um helpful to me anyway in in actually honing what i want to be saying and and putting it down in a way that um resonates most effectively with a reader i was just having a conversation about this with uh alex white who's also an orbit author yes yes and they were talking about how people have come up to them and have said you know, the same kind of thing, like, oh, well, uh, this adversarial thing with an editor. And it's like, what? No. First of all, you need an editor to buy your damn book for one. But, right. they, they, you know, they actually do help. And if they offer a suggestion that you don't like, guess what? You don't have to do it. Right. <laughs> They're pretty cool. You know. Right. I, and, and, and almost, you know, every time that, you know, my editor, Sarah, has offered a suggestion, it, it's usually not a do this. It's a, hey, this isn't quite coming through. Think about what you want to do to play with that a little bit more. So, I mean, I'm sure that every relationship is different there. Um, but, you know, for me, it's it's not about taking a suggestion and forcing it into my manuscript in a way that doesn't work. It's about saying like, okay, let's, let's have someone who's a, you know, characterization plot theme expert, look at my work and say, okay, this is, this is where it's, it's fallen flat. What texture can we pull into it? What can you do with it? Right. And Sarah Guan is your editor, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's the only Sarah at Orbit I know. And probably, I think that's the only Sarah at Orbit, uh, who so. is also Fonda Lee's editor. Yes. So that's got to be cool. Yes. Yeah. She's got, I, I like love her whole list. <laughs> I'm such a fangirl over everyone else that Sarah edits. It's <laughs> Have you uh, gotten in touch with other authors through Orbit after you, your deal? Or did you pretty much know and hang out with them beforehand? No, I, I kind of met everybody and met virtually because like I said, I don't make it to many conferences or anything, um, but met kind of virtually. But yeah, I mean, really supportive, awesome people. It's always nice, you know, I know people drag social media and Twitter for all kinds of things, but it's like, it's nice to be able to reach out to someone and be like, Hey, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. How are you doing? What's going on? Oh, um, yeah. Just having that because, you know, otherwise, and you said you, you're in Arkansas, I'm in Indiana, you know, I don't really have a huge publishing community surrounding me. So right. <laughs> it's nice to be able to reach out and talk to people. Though you are very close to Gen Con, if you thought yes. about going. Mm. Yes, I am close to that. I was going to be at the writer symposium this year, but like we were talking about just money, I couldn't afford it. And it was sad because I was like, yes, I get to meet all these cool people that I've always wanted to meet. Um, but uh, yeah, I love uh, people I can just reach out and talk to. You and I have talked about like a particular uh, reviewer. <laughs> who yes. I, yep. Won't and see, and, and it's nice to be able to reach out to somebody in private and be like, let's just talk about this off record. Because right. It's like, am I crazy or are they just no, they're, asshole? And we're professionals, so we're just going <laughs> to. Yeah, we're not going to go over yeah. it any more than that. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you've got books with Orbit and, and 
phrase the second book in this series are you planning a third or more after there is that a, there is a third so it was a three book deal and there's a third in the series that um is on sarah's desk right now so she's probably taking an incisive scalpel to all the things i need to be working on um for it in about a month or so um so yeah that's the next big project for me is the revisions on that and then after that we'll see yeah <laughs> well, what's your writing process like? Uh, obviously, you have children, like many of us do. And yep. how, wh- when you do find the time to write, uh, what do you shoot for as far as word count, uh, coffee, whatever? Um, coffee, for sure. Coffee first. Always coffee first. Um, I I tend to be a... I'm not really a straight through drafter. I'm a really cyclical drafter. So I'll start out with kind of my main beat points of what I'm going to be doing with it. Um, And I just kind of write through getting the story um, kind of out. And then I cycle back over it and fill out the beginning with the places that I know it needs to go in the middle. Um, So by the time that I actually have a complete draft, it's taken me a lot longer than just sitting and writing it through. But usually it's a little bit more fleshed out um, in terms of the themes and making sure I don't have too giant of gaping plot holes. I mean, occasionally I have gaping plot holes because that's just how it goes. Um, so, so yeah, it's, um, I tend to write in, in chunks just because I'll, I have a, I totally fess up to this. I have a sitter who comes once a week because otherwise I would probably go crazy not getting anything done. Um, and I write during nap times and in the evening. So I kind of try to get like chunks of time and, you know, get, a scene, a scene and a half out and then go back over and kind of smooth how that scene is working into what happens before it and after it. And I call that a pretty good writing session if I can get that done. So <laughs> nice. So would it be fair to assume that you're more of a pantser and then go back and clean it up? So I, I, I kind of fall in the middle with like how that a planter. <laughs> they say like, so I, <laughs> I'm definitely not an outliner. I, I've never outlined anything, which drove my master's thesis advisor crazy. Um, Cause I had just sold torn and she's like, you've probably never written anything as long as a master's thesis before. And I'm like, just, just keep it in. Don't argue. Um, <laughs> but um, so I don't really outline as much as I kind of write out, you know, this, then this, then this, I actually tend to write a synopsis ahead of time. Um, but it's not very detailed. So there's definitely some, like, I know the gist of the story. I know where it's going. I know the main things that I'm going to hit, but I want to let myself get surprised along the way as well. So let those detours happen. And often a lot of the great development that I really like about a story um, ends up in, in those weird detours that just kind of happen. So plotting, pantsing combo, I guess. I think a lot of people are more like that than they let on. I mean, maybe you kind of lean one way more than the other. Uh, and heck, sometimes it changes for, <laughs> for every book and every, every book is, session. Every book is different. Yeah, very true. Um, I'm noticing I'm writing a lot slower than I used to, which is kind of frustrating. But at the same time, I feel like my writing has gotten better. So yeah. I don't want to mess with it and like <laughs> try to rush myself because then I'll start slipping. So I'm just like, okay, I'll just, you know. I yeah. still shoot well, for I, I think- 
Go ahead. I think too, like, like we focus so much on, I feel like so much of the writing community, it's like word count. What was your word count today? Did you get your word count? And it's like, sometimes like 500 really good words is better than 2000. Like I'm just writing this to get it on the page and I'm going to delete most of it later because it was really terrible. Like, at least for me, like I'm not a, if I'm writing stuff that I know I'm going to delete, it's, it's not helpful for me. I'd rather slow it down and back it off and, and get less in, but you know, stuff that I really feel like, okay, this is going to go somewhere. And do it better the first time. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to say do it right the first time because no, yeah, that never happens. <laughs> no, but like as good as you could possibly do it the first time. Um, because when I don't write, it gnaws at me. Like it's weird, you know. It's I don't feel like it's work. It's like something I have to do, and I think most writers feel that way. But um, yeah, so. People who say, oh, you got to write every day. No, the hell you don't. Um, I know a lot of times where I was mad at myself because I didn't find the time to write. I was too tired, whatever. But then I got a flash of an idea for what was coming next. I had one idea going this way on this timeline, so to speak. And then this idea came. I'm like, oh, this totally transforms everything. So you need kind of those days away, you know, walking through the woods, whatever. Well, and I think too, you know, the whole idea that writing isn't just sitting down putting words on a page. Like there are times when, you know, my kid decides not to take a nap and I'm like, oh, we're not going to, we're not going to actually put any words on the page today, but like, I'm going to devote some time while I'm chasing her around, preventing her imminent death and disaster and injury because she's 18 months and crazy. Right. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to devote some time while I'm doing that to thinking through a plot problem or kind of thinking about, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not totally happy with this character arc. What can I do to go back and seed some things in earlier chapters? And then by the time I actually do get a chance to sit down, like some of that writing work has actually already been done. Um, and I did it while I was, you know, prying my kid off of the kitchen Island for the third time today or whatever. Mm. So, yeah, and a lot of your ideas and th- things that come to mind, it happens when you're not writing a lot of times. Right. When you're doing some other mundane task or, you know, whatever, um, and it just pops in your mind. You're like, oh, yeah. So it kind of, you know, you, you're filling that well up. And, uh, yeah, that's why I'm not giving my – I'm not putting pressure on myself to write faster or write every day or any of that stuff. Well, how long does it take – how long did it take you to write Torn? Um, that's a really nuanced question. Cause the first draft, um, a couple of months, it was actually one of the fastest things that I've written. I think it was like less than three months. I went from, you know, zero to, um, about 80,000 words. Um, but then under, um, Sarah's revisions, a lot of it got, got rewritten, um, and actually expanded quite a bit because Orbit's um, publishing lengths are a lot longer than I was kind of initially aiming for because I didn't want to overshoot my word count too much, you know, and then put it out there and I'm like, well, we liked it, but it's really, really long. So um, (laughs) I added about 40,000 words once all was said and done um, in a couple more months of revisions and going back over stuff and a couple rounds of revisions. So, so that was one of the faster ones. And what about Frey? Um, that one was really weird because I got probably a third to half of it drafted in about a month and a half. Um, but then I had my second baby. Um, so things slowed down a little bit at that point. Um, and honestly I drafted so quickly at at that point because I knew that I was going to have a little bit of a time suck happening. Um, like, you know, 
That's super any, fast any day now. Any day now, I'm going to have no time. Um, but my older daughter was in preschool and I had all morning, every morning, just sit down and write. And yeah, that I was kind of like, wow, man, when people have time, no wonder people can knock out you know, a draft in a month. Like this is how it works. Um, wow. I, I'm in awe. A, a month and a half is fast for a book. I could not do it. Like, well, I mean, I could, but and it wasn't, wasn't the whole day. It was like, like a, a good half. And then I knew where everything was going after that. And, oh, and again, okay. coming in a little shorter, but then I knew where everything was going to get put. But, you know, D- did you like being on a deadline? It doesn't really bother me. Cause I think I kind of put deadlines on myself, even if I don't have them. <laughs> right. Same here. So I, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, the, the third book is, is, going into the revision stage and I'm already kind of like, well, I need to have a draft of something, you know, getting ready to go. And I've got that deadline imposing on myself, even though I, I don't really have one. Um, but I like to kind of have a goal deadline to shoot for. Keep myself on. I loved, I loved having a deadline. It was awesome because with smoke eaters, I didn't have a deadline, uh, with daughters of forgotten light was already written. So that didn't have a deadline, but then ash kickers, you know, writing it completely from scratch. I don't remember writing that thing. I was talking about this yesterday on Twitter about by the time a book comes out, you've already written another one, working on another one, and then you have to go, oh, what was that book about again? (laughs) You know, I really don't remember. Uh, It was just a blur, but it was, you know, it worked. The deadline kind of kept me going and, and pushed me and, even when I was tired, you know, and normally I would go, ah, I'll write tomorrow. No, the, the deadline kind of pushed me along. So I know a lot of writers complain about them, but I love them. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't really mind. And I may mean, think too, you know, open communication in terms of if, if there's a problem, I always feel like I can go back and say like, yeah, that, that deadline's not going to work for me because, you know, whatever reason, but I haven't had to do that. So that, that's always good. There's always that fear for me, like, you know, things have been going really good so far. (laughs) I really don't want to throw anything into the mix that could complicate. Yeah. Right. And like no like major plot revisions where, okay, get rid of these three characters, you know, that kind when I hear authors tell me that editors tell them that, I'm like, what the fuck am I gonna do if that ever happens to me? Like hide in my room for about a day and just mourn the loss of the book I thought I had written and then Right. It's like, it, we liked your book, but we want you to write a completely different one, but kind of the same. Like, I don't, ugh, that's, yeah. <laughs> but you know, a lot of agents nowadays, um, through traditional publishing are very editorial. Uh, it's, I think more rare now to have an agent that isn't editorial, at least a little bit. I mean, yeah, there, there are some, uh, so right now I, I just signed with a new agent, uh, John Gerald, who was an editor at Orbit UK and a bunch of other places. Um, so this is going to be very interesting. My previous agent was very editorial as well because he was an editor too. So that I can take more. If, if you edit with an agent and they tell you, okay, you have to really upend this whole section right here. I, right. It still kind of <laughs> sucks. And you're like, ah, you know, but I think it's still better than going to an editor, you know, with it. And they're like, okay, we bought this, you, you know, you're on a time crunch. So uh, get, get to, writing yeah. <laughs> so uh w- 
you're obviously now promoting Frey. So are you going to be any places that people can come see you either in Indiana or anywhere else or any other? You know, I actually, I'm actually not, um, which is through like no fault of anyone's, but my own crazy family life. No, my husband was actually deployed, um, this past year and the spring that he's just gotten back. So I didn't plan any travel or anything for this kind of chunk of time just because it's been kind of overwhelming, like family, you know, prioritizing spending time together and also seeing all the extended family who's like, Oh, we want to come see you guys. Cause Randy's back from Afghanistan now. So, right. um, so it's been kind of a crazy spring. Um, so yeah, most of my promotion has been, um, virtual rather than in person. Gotcha. Which, Hey, works just as well. I think in my opinion, I think, okay. Have you done a book signing? I have. Yeah. I don't know how yours went, <laughs> but it was small. <laughs> it's you know I it was get, fun I, I I enjoyed it um but yeah it was I <laughs> I don't know I'm very like gregarious and out there and I love meeting new people and I have no problem speaking in front of a crowd but it's so debilitating when you go <laughs> this thing and like I was at uh, a books a million. I did several for Smoke Eaters. I was at a Books A Million, and you know, a few people came in and bought it. We had a fire truck out there, all that good stuff. And this one guy comes in, and I'm pitching. Everybody walks through the door. I'm like, hey, just to let you know, you know, I got this book. And he's like, oh, I'm just here for the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will not stand in your way, good sir. Right, I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I, you, can, you can get both, but you probably <laughs> not like mine, but... Well, yeah, I was going to say, at least he's self-identifying. It's like, maybe, maybe not my target audience. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And that's cool. You know, <laughs> do, you know, read, read what you want. So anyway, well, where can people find you online? Um, I uh, have a website, rowanamiller.com, which I tend to try to link stuff to. So um, if you can find me there, you can usually find me also um, on Twitter, Facebook. I do have a newsletter if you want to sign up and occasionally I like, you know, do deleted scenes or other fun stuff, um, via that. Um, so that's, that's the best place to find me. And then of course my books are Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble indie sellers, which I always like to kind of push. Um, yeah. Powell's in the North uh, Pacific Northwest and indie bounds good. Cause they, yep. you can pick whichever store you want to get the, the profit from the sale. Right. So everywhere. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you have no idea uh, who Orbit books are, <laughs> that'd be very surprising. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Orbit's been around forever. And uh, I have an idea for you, Rowena. Okay. And Should if I you hadn't scared? already, no, no. Um, <laughs> I don't give out scary ideas. Uh, but uh, and you may have already begun doing this. But you can do like sewing lessons. Maybe be, either a Patreon or a newsletter thing or YouTube, Instagram, whatever, you know, and it'd be something that, you know, you know and do and then kind of is related to the books and just an idea. It just came to me. <laughs> I was on uh, Ditch Diggers and Murr and Matt gave me an idea or kind of encouraged me to keep doing these cover songs I'm doing. You know, because I was just goofing around and they're like, oh, that's a great, like, author marketing thing. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll try it. <laughs> Cross-created, you know. Yeah, you know, show show people all the many 
talents that you have. Anyway, you can run with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to give me credit, but hey, I think that's a great idea. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope that Torn and Frey are massive successes. I mean, Torn's doing very well, I, I assume. I, I think so. I heard of it. And if I've heard of it, yeah. I think it's doing pretty good. <laughs> Must be okay. Must be all right then. Yeah, right, no, right. I just, hey, as long as they let me keep writing the next one, I'm I'm happy, you know? That's the goal. So. Awesome. Rowena, you're more than welcome to come back. And we thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it so much. Thanks so much.